Welcome to this very special installment of the Guide to Existence, where we explore the weekly Torah portion and Jewish holidays through the lens of Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, and teachings of Hasidus. And I'm your host, Rabbi G. Gavriel Haram. Today we're going to explore the mystical Jewish holiday of Lagba Omer, which is taking place today. It's such an amazing holiday. I actually traveled six hours last night to and from Brooklyn, New York to celebrate the holiday with dancing, singing, and lighting bonfires in the streets of Brooklyn, the uh, perhaps holiest part of a not-so-holy city. Uh, but traditionally, Jews flock from all over the world to Mount Meron, a mountain in northern Israel, adjacent, adjacent to the mystical city of Sfat, to sing and dance. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over Israel, from all walks of life, religious, not religious, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, Hasidic. Um, and the question is, what's so special about Meron, the, the location, and the holiday of Lag Bomer, what exactly are we celebrating? Unfortunately, last year there was a terrible tragedy that took place in Meron due to the incredible amounts of crowds and unfortunately some irresponsible um, moves that were made in terms of closing off certain exits and things which led to a, the death of a, a, a number of people, which was really, really tragic. Um, my brother-in-law and nephew were actually there. Thank God they were they were safe. But um, this year, many much few, fewer people went. But still, throughout all of Israel, got together lighting fires and singing and dancing as well. So what's the significance of Meron? So Meron, uh, I mean, Alagba Omer, uh, technically speaking, uh, in the most ancient sources, is celebrating an incident that took place about 2,000 years ago. Rabbi Akiva, the greatest sage of the Talmud, had a yeshiva, a seminary of 24,000 students. And at the time of Passover, Pesach, his students contracted a plague, which was known as Askara, which was a lung condition, maybe similar to COVID. And 24, but I believe probably worse, but then again, COVID without medication and vaccines and all that is could have been pretty bad, although usually not for uh, people who were who were generally healthy, but these were young young men, healthy young men, and twenty four thousand students of his passed away in the plague. His entire yeshiva uh, during the days of uh, from Passover until Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer, the plague ended, and so we're essentially uh, engaged in a mourning period during this time until today when the plague is over. So let me ask you: plague ended. So we're celebrating, right? But why are we happy? Why did the plague end? Because all of his students died. So what is the celebration? What's so exciting about this time period that we're celebrating? If he had all his students died, that sounds terrible and tragic. Another question we have to ask is why did they die specifically during these days? We know nothing is coincidental. What specifically did they do wrong? And why did it happen during these days that they died now? during a time of between Pesach and Shavuos. Okay, now, furthermore, um, other sources point out, namely um, from the times of the Arizal and the Kabbalists of the past 600 years, that today also marks another 
uh, auspicious day. And as the death, the yurtzeit of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who is a student of Rabbi Akiva, the, one of the greatest students of Rabbi Akiva, who on the day before of his death, authored the majority of the teachings of the Zohar. The Zohar is the Book of Splendor, which is the principal text of Kabbalah. And Rabbi Shimon passed away on this day. Now, again, another question to ask is, normally on a yurtzeit, we are sad. We mourn on a yurtzeit. We fast on a yurtzeit. Why are we dancing and singing and eating and lighting fires on the de- on the yurtzeit of Rabbi Shimon? What's so special about Rabbi Shimon that he gets different treatment on his yurtzeit? A yurtzeit is always a special day. It's always celebrated, but not usually in this type of an aust- you know, a, a joyous way. And finally, we have a couple of interesting customs on Lagba Omer. One is, like we mentioned, we light these giant oil bonfires. And what's the significance of bonfires? Another old custom is to throw in clothing or, or cloth material into the bonfires. Then there's this custom that children play with bows and arrows on Lagba Omer. And finally, why why is every Jew connected so much to this holiday? It's, it's a minor Jewish holiday. Uh, why is it that it's such a big deal in Israel that everyone goes to Meron? So many different Jews from so many different walks of life. And really, this holiday, as it's become in celebration of the Torah of Rabbi Akiva, is really celebrating the oral Torah. Rabbi Akiva is the father of the oral tradition, right? There's a written Torah, five books of Moses, and along with that is an oral tradition that explains the laws, the mitzvahs, the stories of the Torah, and gives much deeper meaning and context and application, practical application to the Torah. That was eventually written down in the Talmud. And Rabbi Akiva really is the father of the oral tradition. But now we really is a transition to the, the celebration from, from the times of the Arizal, who really brought out the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai from the Zohar and made it much more expounded on it, much more practical and accessible to those who are able to learn Kabbalah, which is extremely complicated and very few and far between. But it's really a celebration now, not just of the oral Torah, but of the heart and soul of the oral Torah, which is Kabbalah. But why is everyone celebrating Kabbalah? And and, and that again, you have to, very few people actually learn Kabbalah. And according to Certainly, according to the letter of the law, you're not even supposed to learn Kabbalah until you're 40 years old, until you've mastered the entire Talmud and all of Jewish law. So it's it's a very select few that learn Kabbalah. So why is everyone so excited about Kabbalah and connected to, to the teachings of Rabbi Shimon that they go and celebrate Emeron, specifically celebrating the teachings of Kabbalah? And then one last question is, Kabbalah specifically is known as Torah, Panemius HaTorah, which means the inner Torah. What does that mean, the inner Torah. What is that? What's the significance of the inner Torah? And it's also known as Torah's Hasod, which means the secret Torah or the hidden Torah. What does that mean? Okay, we're going to try to answer all these questions if we can in the time that we have. Okay, so Rebbe Akiva, let's let's try to understand a little bit of the teachings of Rebbe Akiva. Rebbe Akiva teaches us that the the number one principle in the Torah is Ve'ahavta l'recha kamocha, love your fellow. Love your neighbor, love your friend like yourself. That's Rabbi Akiva taught. So this is a primary teaching of Rabbi Akiva. And this teaching is so foundational. A lot of people associate with Christianity, but it's straight in the Torah. 
and and we see that Rabbi Akiva and other sages of the Talmud, Hillel and others, emphasize that this is the most important rule in the Torah. What's so significant? But furthermore, is it possible? Can we even do it? Is it possible to love your friend like yourself? Think about it. How can you really do that? To make the question stronger, Rebbe Akiva himself discusses a very interesting case. You might have heard this case before. It says in the Talmud, two people are walking in the desert and they have one bottle of water. Who drinks it, you or your friend? You're holding the water bottle. If you drink it, you survive. You make it to the town. Your friend drinks it, he survives, and you die. If you share it, you both die. Who drinks it? So I always ask people, what do you think the most spiritual thing to do? And everyone says the most spiritual thing to do is let your friend drink it. Nobody in the Talmud says that option. But there are two options that are expressed in the Talmud. One explanation is the explanation, I believe, of Ben, can't remember his name right now, um, who says that you, you both share it, and that way you'll both live a little bit longer. Rabbi Akiva, however, says you drink it. What's the problem with that answer? Rabbi Akiva, who just said that the number one principle of the Torah is love your neighbor like yourself, he says, you drink it. Well, if you loved your neighbor like yourself, you certainly wouldn't drink it. You'd give it to him. How do we understand that? Says Rabbi Akiva, the, the rule is, Chayacha Kodman, your life comes first. So that's a major contradiction. Let me tell you one more contradiction. At the end of Rabbi Akiva's life, Rabbi Akiva was sentenced to death for teaching Torah. The Romans forbid the Jews from performing certain mitzvahs, and one of them was they forbid Jews from teaching Torah publicly. And Rabbi Akiva went and defied them, and he said that a Jew without Torah is like a fish without water. It's our oxygen. It's our life. And if we are going to be killed for teaching Torah, then without Torah, then we'll certainly be killed. And Rabbi Akiva went and was sentenced to death. And he was, his death was that he was, his skin was combed off with hot iron combs. He was flayed to death. And his students gathered around crying and they saw that Rabbi Akiva was smiling. And they said, how could you be smiling? You're enduring the most incredible pain. And Rabbi Akiva said to them as follows, my whole life, I have waited to give my life up to God. To perform the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem. What's the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem? The word Kiddush means holiness, sanctification. And a Kiddush Hashem is when a person declares that their belief in God. Now, what does that mean exactly? That when we do a mitzvah, what we're showing the world is that we believe in God, that there's a God. When a Jew publicly does the right thing, then that's called the sanctification of God's name, or an explanation, a declaration that, that we believe in God. On the contrary, when a Jew does the wrong thing publicly, as we have, unfortunately, scandals where Jews commit all sorts of frauds or, or horrible acts, 
then that's a desecration of God's name because the people, the world associates Jews with God. And that's why when a Jew does the wrong thing, like Bernie Madoff or something like that, or Epstein, everyone knows that they're Jewish. And the newspapers make it very clear that he was a proud supporter of Israel and of his synagogue. That's called a chil Hashem. The word chil comes from the word chol, which means the mundane. But really the word of the root chil comes from the Hebrew word halal, which means an empty space. When a person does the wrong thing, probably what they're declaring is that God is not here. The world is empty of God. On the other hand, when a person makes a kiddush Hashem, they're saying the world is full of God. That means they're showing that the principle, which is probably the number one foundational principle of Judaism and Kabbalah, which is that Hashem is one. Hashem Echad. That means all there is is God. Ein od milvado. There's nothing but Him. That's our number one belief. And what's the number one expression that there's nothing but God? Is when we are willing to give up everything for our principles and belief in God. Person's made up of two parts, a body and soul. The, they want very different things. The body cares about immediate physical pleasures, but the driving principle behind that is that the body is programmed to do one thing and one thing only, and that is survive, perpetuate its own individual selfish existence. That's what the body, the animal soul wants, is life. The soul, on the other hand, cares about the greater good, the oneness. And the soul wants something also, just like the body wants nothing more than to exist and to survive at the expense of all else. It's willing to knock down everyone and kill everyone in order to survive. That's the principle of survival of the fittest, the driving force of nature, according to evolution, is selfishness. The soul cares about everyone, oneness, the greater good. The soul is connected to everyone on this on the on this more spiritual level to oneness. The soul actually wants nothing more than to leap out of the body like a flame who's bound to a wick, which is leaping beyond the wick, trying, trying to expand itself, trying to connect and go back to its source in the supernal light. So too the soul wants nothing more than to leap out of the confines of the body, to return to oneness, to return to God. So in the moment of giving up one's life, Rabbi Kiva says, all I want is to give up my life. Because in giving up one's life, a person says that my soul is my true identity. I am a soul, but I have a body. Because the body wants nothing more than to survive. You go against your bodily desires, your animal nature, to connect to, 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 to the soul, which wants literally to give itself completely to God. That's the idea of Kiddush Hashem. Rabbi Akiva says, all my life, I wanted to give up my life for God. And the Talmud says that he his soul left him. He said the Shema, and his soul left him when he said Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, God is one. Shema Yisrael, Echad. But the deeper explanation that his soul literally left him in the oneness. It wasn't the Romans that killed Rabbi Kiva. It's that he actually gave himself the ability to lead his He was so ecstatic for his connection to God that his soul actually left out of his body. And there are many, many stories in the Torah and of more recent times of righteous people who prayed with such devotion that they almost died. And it's an amazing idea, right? That literally the more we connect to the soul, the more we distance ourselves from our body. So here's the question. How do we explain this? 
Rabbi Akiva says the goal is love your neighbor like yourself, and yet he says you drink the water, and then he himself says, but all he really wants is to give up his life. So then why not give it to the friend? So I believe the answer is as follows. Rabbi Akiva, the Talmud tells us that there were four sages who went into the deepest level of, of Kabbalah. They went up to something called the Pardis, the orchard, which is a soul elevation of going to the highest, highest chambers of spirituality. And one of them died. One of them went crazy. One of them became a heretic from this incredibly elevated revolution, uh, 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 revelation, except for Rabbi Akiva. It says the Talmud says Rabbi Akiva went inside in peace and he came out in peace. What does that mean? Rabbi Akiva understood the principle of balance. The, a few weeks ago, we had a Torah portion of the sons of Aaron who literally died from uh, from spiritual experience. It says that they they experienced the kiss of God. Their soul leapt out of their body and reconnected to the larger flame, the ultimate flame. Their small candle, their soul, which is embodied by the candle, leapt out of their body and connected to God. When the Jews were out Mount Sinai, however, receiving the Torah, the Talmud says they died multiple times, had to re be reborn because the spirit, this experience of spirituality was so high. They came so close to seeing God. But they turn to Moshe and they say, Moshe, we don't want to die. You speak to God for us and tell us what he says. We can't handle the experience. And if a rabbi of mine in Israel a few weeks ago asked the question, why would they tell Moshe we don't want to die? That's the greatest desire of righteous people is to give themselves up back to get to return to God, to die for God. So why didn't they want to die? So I said that this is a very Israeli question. Because in America, I think most you ask most religious Jews, do you really want to give up your life for God? Like, I think they might unfortunately say, uh, you know, I'd rather, I, I like my life. I like the comfort of my life. You know, I keep kosher, I pray, you know, but I want my vacations and my kosher uh, holiday in, in, in Miami and my kosher steak. The reality is, however, when push comes to shove is that every Jew will give up their life. For God. That's why throughout thousands of years of persecution by the Christians and the Muslims, most of the time Jews gave up their life for God. And that's why we're still, those of us who are still Jewish today are still Jewish because so many people before us risked everything rather than convert to another religion. So my rabbi answered the, follow, the question as follows. Why didn't the Jews at Mount Sinai not give up their lives for God? And he answered, because, why did they, is because they realized that God doesn't want you to give up your life for him. He wants you to live for him. The purpose of this world is to live connected to God, to reveal God, not in the soul. This God could have created, didn't have to bring us into a physical world. He could have kept us in the world of souls, in the world of oneness. Instead, he put us into a body in order that we should reveal God in the body, through the body, through the physicality, to reveal him in the lowest places and the darkest places. That's the meaning of life. Rabbi Akiva's whole life, he wanted to give his life up for God, but he didn't. He didn't because he understood that God wants us to live in the physical universe. So what's Rabbi Akiva teaching us? The number one principle of love your neighbor like yourself is what? That you have to love yourself. Number one rule first, you have to love yourself before you can love others. And before you can love your other, yourself, you have to be a self. You have to be alive. You have to exist. Rabbi Kiva says we have to exist in this world. So in this verse, love your fellow like yourself. We have three principles, the three main relationships in Judaism, which is self, 
others and God. Love your fellow, that's others, like yourself, self, Ani Hashem, I am God. Three relations. So how is it possible to truly love another like yourself? How is it possible to really love someone like yourself? The answer is, is it's not possible. Really, we can only love ourselves. But how do we fulfill the mitzvah of loving your fellow like yourself? Is really realizing that your friend is yourself. Judaism teaches that God is everywhere. But where are we able to connect to God the most? Where is God most revealed in this world? Inside you. Because Kabbalah teaches that the neshama, the soul, is a chelich elokai mimal mamish, a piece of God himself. The Balatanya, the author of the Tanya, teaches in the 32nd chapter, Lamed Beis, which spells lev, the heart, it's known as the heart of Hasidus, is that when a person connects to their soul, then they realize that inside my soul is a piece of God and inside your soul is a piece of God. And it's the same piece where each, God is indivisible. So what do I mean by piece of God is literally is a connection to the infinite. So on our, on our bodily level, we're disconnected. We're all separate. But on the soul level, we're all one. The more I connect to my soul, the more I'm able to connect to you. And that's really the deepest message of Kabbalah. That we're all connected. On the spiritual level, we're all one. God is compared to white light, infinite oneness. And he took his white light and he shined it through a prism of three dimensions. And that's the physical world. It comes out a rainbow. And we're all different colors of that rainbow. In this world, we see the rainbow. When we look up through the prism, we realize we're all from one source, from the white light. And that's why Kabbalah is referred to as the inner Torah. Panemius HaTorah. The word panim, panemius, means inside. It also comes from the Hebrew word panim, pane, which means face. Panim is a face. It's very interesting. In English, the word face comes from the Latin word face, facade, fake. External, exterior. A face can hide who we are. It can be this, the outer layer that we show the world. Or in Hebrew, Hebrew always looks at the inner dimension, unlike the Western world, which looks at the outer dimension. The word face in Hebrew means inner, because the face can be the window to the soul. It could show who we really are. So the Kabbalah is called the inner Torah because it's the Torah that teaches us to connect to our deepest, most part, the innermost part of us, which is the soul, which is the infinite, which is the connection to everything. And that's another reason why Kabbalah is called the secret Torah. Because it's not a secret that I shouldn't tell you. It's a secret that I can't tell you. Because Kabbalah teaches us the experience of our true self. 
And that's something no one can ever tell you. It's something you have to experience for yourself. The word Kabbalah is also related to the word to receive. It's something that you have to receive. Additionally, the word Kabbalah comes from the Hebrew word mirror, makbul, which is a reflection that teaches you that you, your body, that through my body, I will see God. Your body is literally a direct reflection of the spiritual reality. And the more you connect to yourself, the more you connect to God. So the Talmud teaches us that every Jew is a letter in the Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah can, that equal the 600,000 root souls of the Jewish people that came out of Mitzrayim and received the Torah. A Torah scroll, if it's missing one letter, doesn't have holiness. It's incomplete. It's, it's not. It's, it's a puzzle. It's, it, it has to be buried. It's no holiness. So too, if a single letter, if a single Jew is missing from the Jewish people, the Jewish people is incomplete. We're unable to reveal the totality of divinity of godliness in this world without every single Jew. And therefore, if you look down on another Jew, what you're essentially saying is that your Torah scroll is incomplete. It's not kosher because we need each other. You're a reflection of the divine spark. You're a color of the rainbow, and I'm a color of the rainbow. We need all the colors of the rainbow together in order to reveal the oneness, the white light reflected into all the colors, the mosaic of godliness in this world. We all need to be part of that. So let's go back and try to understand some of the questions that we started with. We began by asking, Why Rabbi Akiva's students died during this time period? So, according to Kabbalah, we understand that the Sphira period, the time between Passover and Shavuos, is a time of preparation for Shavuos. It's a time of introspection, and it's a time of judgment. What we mean by that is it's a time of where we're held to a higher accountability. It's a time where we try to break things down. The 49 days of, of the Sphira, each day corresponds to a different energy and a different permutation of different energy. There are seven emotional attributes, and we work each day on a different one of those seven times one of the other seven. So 49 different permutations of emotions that we have to work on each day. It's a time of breaking things down which corresponds to the energy of judgment. During this time, when we're supposed to work on ourselves, and the students of Rebbe Akiva learn from their Rebbe that the number one principle in the Torah is love your fellow like yourself, which first and foremost means you have to love yourself. In order to love yourself, you have to be a self. You have to work on connecting to the godliness within yourself. That's the number one way that we work on ourselves. And after and only after we connect to the godliness within us do we realize that everyone else has a divine spark as well, which is part of our divine spark, and then we're able to really love others like ourselves because the other is ourself. But his students took it too far. The Talmud says that they didn't respect each other enough. They took it too far, the working on themselves, and they forgot about the other. 
and righteous people are held on a much higher level of accountability, much more refined, that they literally, because of that huge error, which for us would have been a small error, but for them was a huge error, they passed away during this time. Which leads to another question. Is, why are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating now during on Lagba Omer when they stopped dying? They only stopped dying because they were all dead. So the answer, I believe, is that we're not celebrating the fact that they stopped dying. We're not celebrating the fact that they died. We're celebrating Rabbi Akiva's response to them dying. What did Rabbi Akiva do at that moment? Instead of giving up, after everything he built, everything he worked on was lost, instead of throwing it away, got back up again, picked himself up, and he started over. The Talmud explains he took five students and from those and started teaching them again. And from those five students comes the entire oral Torah, the entire Talmudic tradition essentially comes from those five students. And one of those five students was Rabbi Shimon, who revealed the deepest teachings of Kabbalah. So of those seven energies, each week corresponds to a different overarching energy and then the seven permutations of that energy corresponding to the other seven energies. And the week, this week corresponds to the energy of Hod, which is the fifth energy, fifth week of the Sphere. Hod refers to Kabbalistically to the idea of the inner light, the, the soul, the inner, the inner light within a person, that which is hidden within. And it also corresponds to the oral Torah. So the week of Hod corresponds to the oral Torah. The day of Lag Ba'omer is Hod Shabahod, Hod of Hod, which is the inner light of the inner light, the oral Torah of the oral Torah, which is Kabbalah, the deepest of the deep, the holiest of the holy. And the teachings of Kabbalah teach us that we're really all connected. We each have within us a spark of the infinite, and through that spark, we're able to connect to everyone else's spark. And that, perhaps, is the reason why everybody celebrates Lagba Omer. Even those who have never learned Kabbalah, those who never will learn Kabbalah, feel a connection, not just to the Torah, but to each other. Because that's the message of Kabbalah, is that we need each other. Whether you're a secular Jew or a religious Jew, or whether you're Sephardi, Ashkenazi, or Hasidic, it makes no difference. We're all part of the same Torah, and we need each other in order to reveal godliness in this world. And perhaps that's why everyone goes up to Miron. And that, I believe, is the message of the bonfires that we light on Lagba Omer. Because the soul, as we mentioned, is compared to a flame, to a candle. But Lagba Omer represents the totality of all those candles, the collective flame, the collective fire of all of our souls, which really is one soul. That's the message of the bonfire. Additionally, there's a tradition to burn clothing, specifically whether or not one should or shouldn't is discussed in Jewish law. But what's the message of burning cloth or clothing? Is that the clothing that we wear is a, re is a metaphor for our bodies. Our bodies are the clothes that our soul wear in this world. And Kabbalah teaches us that we are more than our clothes. We are the soul that's wearing those clothes. 
Our body is temporary. That's why Rabbi Akiva waited, wanted his whole life to give his life up for God, because really he realized that the body is just, <laughs> it's just something we're wearing. We are really the soul. The soul wants nothing more than to leap out of the body. So we burn, burn the clothing to show that the, the clothing is really just a separation. And nonetheless, we also recognize that we need the clothing. Because it's without that clothing that we wouldn't exist in this world. And God wants us to live in this world with our bodies, to serve God through our bodies. And perhaps that's the message of the rainbow, the bow and arrow. Children have a custom of shooting bow and arrows, and many explain that different different explanations. Perhaps one explanation is that it has to do with the rainbow says that in the generation of Rabbi Shimon, the rainbow did not appear, the entire generation. Rainbow, we know, in Jewish Judaism, represents a curse. Rainbow represents a curse. God, after the flood, made the sign of a rainbow to show that he would never destroy the world again. And yet we, we, we have tradition that but when the rainbow show, is, appears in the sky, that it shows that there's something incomplete in our behavior. What's the significance of the rainbow? The rainbow is the refraction of the white light. Rainbows, all the colors of this world. It's a curse when we forget that those colors come from the oneness. Those colors are all connected. And on the other hand, when we use those colors to reveal godliness, when we bring all the colors together in harmony, it's, it's the greatest expression of God's oneness. All right? To sing in unison means everyone's the same. Everyone's singing the same note. That's God. In the white light. But to sing in harmony when means everyone sings their own note, their own different, unique, personal expression of that white light, but together. And that's the greatest expression of God in this world. That's the goal of the Torah, is that we should reveal God in this world. Another message, perhaps, of the bow and arrows, something unique about a bow and arrow, is that the closer you pull it back, towards your heart, the farther it flies. The more you connect to your own heart, to your own soul, the more you're able to connect to someone else many, many miles away from you. Bridges the physical distance through connection to spirituality. So my blessing for us is that we should take the message of Kabbalah, the message of Rabbi Akiva, love your neighbor like yourself, be a self, connect to yourself, recognize that in yourself is the soul that connects you to everybody else. To connect to the inner Torah, that we each have something unique to bring into this world, something unique to share, a unique color, a unique instrument to bring into the world. And if we can do that, so then we can ultimately bring about the unity of all people, the messianic vision which is that all people come together as one to reveal God in this world. Wishing you a beautiful Shabbos and hope that we can dance together next year in Jerusalem.